0: Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on today.
1: Thank you
0: for asking me. I'm really excited. So tell us. Tell us about your journey, what it was like, what had happened, and what it's like today. And I have to say I'm really excited because Marlene, not only, I met her in Florida, and I feel like we are like kindred sisters. We, like, have so much in common. We even wear the same clothes, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> and not only that, but we have a very close sobriety date. We are, of like, less, probably less than a month apart of just celebrating 13 years. So now we're in our 14th year. <laughs> And it's been a whirlwind, hasn't it?
1: It's been a whirlwind, yeah. It's been great. It's been a ride, for sure. It's a journey, right? It's a journey, yeah. Yeah, you have good years and bad years, and you just hold on, right? just hold on. You
0: hold on. And what, is, what was it like? And So where did you grow up? And tell us a little background about yourself. So I
1: grew up in San Diego. I am the youngest of three kids. Um, I, uh, was a, I was an oops baby. My mom and dad reconciled. And I was the product of that reconciliation weekend. And then they divorced, I was 18 months. So I kind of grew up um, kind of with a single mom that was struggling and an older si- a sister and brother that were 10 and 6 years older than me. And I kind of grew up like an only child because they were gone. They were either running away or living with my dad or living with my grandparents. You know, there was a lot of mental illness. There was a lot of alcoholism, active alcoholism. And you know, just kind of a lot of neglect and some abuse. So that's what it was like. But I was um, I was a tough kid. I was scrappy, and you didn't mess with me. <laughs> I beat up all the boys in the neighborhood that you know that bothered my sister or bothered me. And um, and I was uh, I was really good at you know I was a good student, and I, everyone loved me. Everyone thought I was this great kid, but I was not a great kid. I was a sneaky conniving lying stealing little kid I stole from anyone and everyone and that was my first drug and then uh my brother and sister would take me to parties and get me stoned and high drunk um they thought that was funny and I didn't start actively using until I was probably in junior high my first drunk was blackout I don't remember what I drank but we got into my friend Judy Ruff's liquor cabinet and drank everything in it and then I was thrown up and I remember my mom's best friend Jan picked me up and she was an Alcoholics Anonymous she'd been sober like four years and my mom sent her to get me that morning after and I don't remember anything more I don't remember we talking about me having some sort of problem or anything but I didn't drink after that for a long time because it was, it was a bad experience <laughs> so I, I smoked pot and then I got to high school and that's when I started drinking became a weekend warrior you know, cheerleaded and ran track and was an honor student in gifted classes, but I was just a a duplicitous person. And no one really knew who I really was. And um I got kicked off cheer and my grades dropped and went to live with my dad. And then that's when everything kind of the bottom fell out. That's when I had no discipline, I had no accountability, and my dad really was like a friend. I mean I did copious amounts of drugs with him and drinking and he let me do whatever I wanted but he also was kind of a very loving present person in my life if that makes any sense um he gave me a lot of love and um whereas my mom was more stoic and cold and I knew she loved me but it was just different I can't explain it she was very strict and my friends all didn't like her because she was she was kind of scary And mean, um, and my dad, everyone loved. My dad was like a storyteller, very charming, typical alcoholic, great storyteller. I think he believed his stories. Um, and I had a lot of fun, you know? I mean, alcohol and drugs were fun until they weren't. And so that went on for years, years and years. And, you know, it was different guys, different jobs, different apartments, different friends. I had, you know, lots of disposable friends, um, if they didn't drink like me or I embarrassed myself in front of them, I'd just find new friends. I was good at that. And then I you know, I would just go from relationship to relationship. I ended up in Florida. And um, I was always able to keep good jobs, make good money. But I always just felt lacking. I felt like there was some hole. and uh, And drugs and alcohol kept me from feeling that or being aware of it all the time. And so I managed it for a long, long time. You know, I would... Do all the things they talk about in the big book, you know, drinking water in between drinks, um cutting back on the strong stuff but um and then you know I'd involve drugs that allowed me to drink longer and um and then I met my husband, and he was like normal, <laughs> he was normal, he was college graduate, he was successful, and he liked me, and i was I was not gonna let him go, and so I just altered who I really was my past and um kept a lot of that secret you know um and then we we built a life and then we got engaged and got married and but my alcoholism was just roaring and then my dad died and I and I started hiding bottles when he died which still is baffling to me and and I was just always searching outside of myself for Something to make me feel different, whether it was a project or a new purse or you know the right party. it was just always this searching, this emptiness, this thirst, and um, it was exhausting and uh, and I did a lot of things that you know i 'm not proud of in my in my addiction things that i wouldn 't normally do if I had been sober and and I, we had, you know, we went to great lengths to have kids, thinking that would solve the problem, which is so insane. You know, kids don't make relationships better; they they challenge relationships, and that was the case. It just it just threw me into hell of my disease. But I'm grateful for that because I don't know, I don't know if I would have gotten sober if I hadn't had kids, because they hold the mirror up, and I hated what I saw. Like I hated myself. Mm. Yeah And so I was seven months They were seven months old And I went to a therapist Because I was suicidal And I had these crazy visions of Rolling their stroller into the canal And following them with it You know Just crazy thoughts I was postpartum Really bad And uh, the therapist said You know Are you drinking? And I said Oh Yeah and so he suggested that um, I try going to Alcoholics Anonymous and not drinking for a while. And he put me on a and things got better. I got better. I felt better. And I was sober for six months and then a year and then a year and a half. But I had no program, I had no sponsor, I had no real understanding of what I was fighting. You know, I had no idea. No one in my family had ever been sober. A lot of alcoholics, a lot of drug addicts, a lot of crazy family members, but no sobriety. And then um, a year, a year out from that relapse of having a year and a half, I compounded it with cocaine and pills. Hope that's okay to talk about. But yeah, that's my story. it's okay. Oh yeah, and um, and accelerated my bottom. So I'm really grateful for it. And uh, I reached out for help. I called uh, one of my good friends, and she came over the next morning. And she and my other friend came over, and then they called my sister over. And so the four of us sat in my bedroom for three hours, and I told them the whole truth, every bit of it. It took me the longest to tell them about the cocaine because I had a lot of shame about that as a mom. And they called my husband, and they had him come home. And then I had to tell him all of that. And then we found a rehab, and I went to rehab, which was the hardest thing to do, leave three-year-old twins. And, um, but I did it. And I came home, but I didn't do what they told me to do, and you know how that is. Um, so I relapsed a couple of times, got out in June, and on my sobriety date, September, a little, a little less than a month after yours. And um, by September twelfth of twenty six, two thousand six, I got a sponsor, and she got me busy in the steps, got me getting to meetings early, greeting, staying after, talking to newcomers. Even though I was a newcomer, she just said, "That's the answer. you got to get your hand out, get out of yourself." And I went through the steps really quick. I remember doing the fourth on the beach, fourth and fifth with her on the beach, and she was like, "So what? Now what?" You know And then she told me all the things that I didn't tell her to go home and write about it for a week, pray about it for a week, and come back and tell me all that. And I was so incensed, like, oh, I was so <laughs> thorough. And I filled a whole nother page up with, with hang- typed. Things that I had omitted from my four-step. Things that were really shameful, that really didn't hit harms or sexual acting out or fears. Things that I really kind of humiliated myself. And um, we read that, and uh, we burned it, and I was free. And um, it's been it's been an amazing journey. She's not my sponsor anymore. I have a new sponsor that I've had now for about 10 years, and she has exactly what i want you know she has a solid marriage she has a, her kids that you'd never know um were born into an alcoholic family they're successful because she she made sure of it you know she manifested what she wanted that what she didn't have and um and that's what i've been trying to do and not so perfectly but um you know i i think that my life, my kids life and anyone around me their lives are infinitely better with me and Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> I'm, I'm not a menace to society anymore um, I'm not a harm to myself or others and uh, you know my life is good today and I, I owe it all to Alcoholics Anonymous and those that went before me the women that loved me back to health um, so I'm very devoted to Alcoholics Anonymous it's my, it's my life it really is
0: well, we don't have any—I mean, it's like because we have this disease. And as you mentioned, I always like to hear—you know, I heard th- some things that you, when you were just sharing your story. For one, there was no solution, right, mm-hmm. when you were growing up. So mm-hmm. everybody died of the disease or they stayed drunk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you had no example. You only had chaos, right? So it was chaos, Problem. chaos, let's have another drink. Chaos, yeah. chaos, let's have another drink.
1: Yeah, I was good at that.
0: Right. Lots of drama in your family. And so when we're growing up and we don't see a solution, we think, well, at least I thought, you know, that's the way I'm going to die, right? Because I'm just going to be drinking for the rest of my life because there is no other way out, right? I'm going to die with a cocktail in my hand and I don't know when it's going to happen, but that's how I'm going to die because even though I hate myself, so the strength it takes to actually pick up the phone, And tell those best friends and your sister that you did. Mm -hmm. And then telling your husband, you know. The gig was up. The gig was up, but that takes so much courage, don't you think? I just didn't want to live that way anymore.
1: And what was it? We don't know. I mean, I think that it's God, but. Mm -hmm. Gift of desperation, for sure. And God. And my willingness to ask for help. You know, that's where it starts. If I don't ask for help, I got Nothing. And, uh, I mean, I knew I was an alcoholic for 10, 15 years, maybe more. Yeah, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't have the desire to do anything about it. I just didn't think I could stay in a marriage, and I just didn't know how I could do it. It was just so Chinese to me. Yeah. And it's been hard, you know, going from his drinking partner to being a sober woman and him drinking pretty much every night, um... And how do you do that, you know? You get busy in alcoholics anonymous, stay in your own lane, stay in your own hula hoop <laughs> and um, you mind your own business and um, you take care of yourself. So I take good care of myself today. And sometimes that means, you know, um he doesn't get maybe the attention that he always wants because sometimes the the smell of wine or being around it is it's it's a turn off. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um but we've managed it pretty well now for for a while and uh, he allows me a lot of freedom in because in, he knows how important it is he lets me you know go on these trips to these conferences he he understands that when I'm asked to do anything for al I show up not because I'm all that just because it's what we're taught to do and it's not lip service it's if someone hadn't done it for me I wouldn't be here so I don't think there's enough emphasis on that I loved when Yesterday when Phyllis talked that said the, the responsibility prayer, I just think that, that we have a responsibility now that we've recovered to carry it on and to help as many as we can through service. Not not because I'm up here and you're down there, but love and service. Yeah,
0: we talk a lot about love, and you know when you were talking about being married, because I know that I have a, a lot of listeners that are married, and both men and women, and when one partner decides,
1: and how many years were you married when this happened? So we were married 11 years, together 14, when I got sober, okay. and we had a lot of drinking fun. You know, we our hobby was going to wine tastings and wine festivals, so Pompous, It's so ridiculous. But that's what we did. <laughs> it was fun. You know, we were drinkers. We had parties. We went to parties. We were very, very social. Very different than today. So, yeah. That was a long time to live one way. And now our life is completely different socially, you know. But it's, but it's real and it's authentic and it's not superficial. I'm a, I have a real depth to my life and to my relationships. It's not, what am I wearing and do I have the right person's shoes today? I mean, that's still, I still like that stuff, <laughs> right. don't get me wrong. Right. But it's not about that today, whereas before, that's all it was. I was a shell. If I just looked okay, maybe you wouldn't know how broken I am. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, exact- I, t- I know exactly what you mean. I... But, like, how did you—like, if you were to say a couple things that were words of advice to someone that's listening and they have decided that they no longer are going to be drinking in their life, their partner is still drinking— And you mentioned staying in your own lane. You yeah. mentioned staying in your own hula hoop. I love that. Yeah. Thanks to Snow. Um, you know, that hula hoop is like, you know, I've got to stay in this perimeter of my own. And I can imagine if there were times that it were was harder and not harder. But what would you say to somebody who's going through something similar and is like, okay, I'm newly sober. My husband isn't sober and he's still drinking or my wife is still drinking. How do you or my partner still drinking? How do I do this?
1: Well... I mean, I, I can only share how I've done it, and it was through lots of meetings and and a sponsor who reminded me repeatedly that what he did was none of my business and that he's not an alcoholic. He doesn't have a problem with alcohol. Um, and that I need to focus on myself and my recovery and build my own life and, um, and stop making him my higher power, um, throw myself into, you know, my children and... You know when i when I get triggered, when I get squirrely over something to do with my husband, I would drag myself to a meeting. I had the smartest feet. you know, I ran to meetings like like bees to honey. I would drop everything no matter when or where and run to meetings and And to me, if I give no other advice, it's that you know when whatever your relationship problems are, if he drinks too much or or she drinks too much. Or doesn't drink too much, but it bothers you. I mean, any behavior of anyone else, whether what whatever the behavior is, I, I, it's all about acceptance and and knowing that I have no power. I'm powerless over it. I gotta I gotta just what can I do to shift? Because that's you know I did not know how to do that. The only way I knew how to shift before was to drink or drug or shop or eat. You know, it's just so. Learning how to take care of myself has been the most important part of my sobriety. How do I take care of myself? In the beginning, it was just get to meetings, meetings, meetings. I went to two, three meetings a day in the beginning. And, um, and I met with my sponsor all the time. I stayed connected. I, bu- I built a big support group of strong women, and, um, and I shared my struggles, you know, because I can't change him. We can't change anyone. We can barely change ourselves, right? So that's my advice on that.
0: I love that. I love
1: that. It's authentic. Yeah. It's getting your own tribe. Yeah. I yeah. love the women in my life. I'm so blessed. I have so many wonderful women that would do anything for me and I for them. Like real friends. I never had that before. No. They were shallow. Just surfacey relationships.
0: So So those kids that we were talking about that were three years old when you went off to rehab, Mm -hmm. we had 13 to that, and we're at 16. Oh, (gasps) my God. How is that? What is it like parenting and
1: their twins, which makes it even more (laughs) exciting? Yeah, because I'm such an alcoholic. You know, one wasn't enough. (laughs) More is better. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I'm just so grateful I have, you know, a little bit of time under my belt to be dealing with teenagers and i'm so grateful that even though i don't realize what you, what you all in aa have taught me it permeates them it does like I, sometimes i don't think they listen but they they hear me they will repeat back to me stuff that i've said to them that i've learned in aa that that has changed my life so they they've learned a lot of the tools that i've learned and um they're good kids you know they're far better kids than they would be if i was still out there that's for sure and, um, and I know that God prepared me by getting me sober 13 years ago for this time because now's the time where the rubber meets the road and they need me, they need me. I mean, my, my son was texting me this morning for probably a half hour about girl problems and you know asking my advice and, and taking my advice. Like It's just, my kids tell me, I don't want to say everything, but they tell me just about everything. I, I'm connected to them. I didn't have any of those conversations with my mother whether it was sex or my period or anything. So, um, and I owe it all to Alcoholics Anonymous. Like really, the mother that I am today is, is a result of wonderful sponsorship, wonderful women in my life and Alcoholics Anonymous and the principles that I've learned, you know, the way to live my life today by those principles. And it rubs off on them. You know, it really does. It rubs off on them. They're good kids. I'm so I'm so blessed. Far from perfect, but it's getting interesting. They're driving. They're dating. You know. And what
0: about drinking? And, and and is there any? You know, because unfortunately or fortunately, oh. I mean, this pot that's becoming and like, legal and different. You I'm know. wringing my hands. This whole conversation just. Yeah, it's because it's scary and it's, it's, it's really out scary. there, and especially for kids. And I. You know, I don't like the fact that they make the marijuana, you know, into gummy bears. Like oh, the chewables, and it's the, high
1: dosage too.
0: Yeah, and it's high dosage, and these kids are doing it. And not only that, then they're doing Adderall, and it's just it's it's a totally different world. I mean, that wasn't around when we were kids. People weren't really. I mean, moms were maybe the doing pot like, was different
1: back then right, too. Totally it was different like skunk weed compared to what's out now. It's scary, and now they're lacing it all with fentanyl. And um, it's life or death now. It's just scary it 's really scary, my kids know my position on drugs and alcohol um, you know I, I I want them to avoid it at all costs, but you know there have been times when they both have have uh, snuck it or participated in it without my knowledge, and then they 've come clean with me um, they've never done it to the to the excessive the, the way I did it where they were sick or inebriated. I think she had one. Smearing off ice, and he had one beer once. I think she might have had some pot once or chewable. Um, I don't know. It's it's. I don't have the answers to that. I have um, drug tests in my pantry. I have a breathalyzer in my office, and they know that any time I can I can test them. And that is, you know, their their cars and their driving privileges and all their privileges are all contingent upon them making good choices. Now, that doesn't mean they can never drink. or I don't want them doing drugs, obviously, because of all the scary drugs out there. But if they drink, you know, they understand that it needs to be at home with me or I need to know about it. And I need to know where you're at, who you're with, and how are you getting home. But, you know, I don't think I can control any of it, no. right? No. So the most important thing is what? Communication. communication. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I think that I've got really great communication with them. But um, I've been surprised by a few things. so. I just can't let my jaw, jaw drop to the floor when they tell me things. I have to act like, oh, no big deal. you know. I'm dying inside. But so far, so good. But it's still early in the game. I still got you know, a couple more years before I get them off to college, which will be a whole other issue.
0: But it's letting them know that they do have, a, you know, a higher power yeah. God, which is not us, right? Yeah. But keeping that communication and that honesty going mm-hmm. at least helped me. Because, yeah. you know, now mine being in college and one out, you know, they still tell me everything. And, you know, um, hold on a minute. There's something going on here, and I'm going to put this on pause for one second. Oh, my God.
1: Did we talk too long? No. <laughs> We're going to go like this.
0: Hold on. Oh, this is still going. Well, we're still going. <laughs> so, um, you know, talking to the kids and letting them know that this is where I am, this is what's going on, I just want you to be able to tell me. I don't want either of any of us to feel like, oh, my gosh, we have to keep secrets from each other, yeah, right? right. Because this is all about telling the truth. Because if we tell the truth, it's like it sets us free. Amen. And that's what I've been telling the kids since day one. I've always been like, you know what? Secrets keep you sick. Secrets keep you sick. Secrets. I, I want you to know that this is what, you know, this is a family disease. You've talked about it. I've talked about it numerous times. Our family, the chaos, all that drama. If we don't tell each other what's going on and we have to, like, I remember I had drug tests, too. And um, (laughs) I'd be like, do I really have to get down to this that I have to, like, pull out a test that you're not going to really tell me the truth? And when in doubt, it might take a couple minutes, maybe a half an hour, but they'd always come clean, right? Right, right. It's a good threat. It's a good threat because it does like, let's put, like, come on, I want, I'm want. i your mom. I'm going to always love you, right? No matter right? what. No matter what. I will be there no matter what. And that being said, it's like a not, mm-hmm. like, that would give them the freedom to be like, all right, mom, I did. what is the worst thing that I, all right, yes, I did, you caught me. I, and then what are your, and what are the repercussions now because right. of that? right, right. You know, because we have to learn that there's always a repercussion. Cause and effect. Exactly, exactly. And staying with that. and Yeah, even when sticking you don't with it. To, yeah. mm-hmm. It's like when you're grounded from your car, you're really grounded from your car. And, oh, God, that makes our jobs more. Oh, way more work. <laughs> way more work. And will you tell us, I know that you work um, with a house down here. A Bougainville
1: here. house. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Bougainville house is a nonprofit. Um, it's a family center uh, designed to um, help our community with mental health. Um, it's, it's geared primarily towards adolescents, but they do work with young adults. Um, we have a crisis in our country. I think um, anyone can, can agree with that. And they're going into schools and talking to schools to the, st- the teachers, the students, and the parents about um, depression, anxiety, bullying, uh, vaping, and, of course, drugs and alcohol and um they've they've done a really great job of getting the word out about their services um, we've you know We've made great strides in that awareness because it's so important and and there's so much secrecy around um families that have a child that's you know had a flare up with substance or is struggling with depression. There's so much secrecy around it. It's really sad. Um, and we're trying to break that stigma so that people can talk about it and say, yeah. I, and so what we did, because we were really mostly an intensive outpatient program for substance, for adolescents. And we were, we were having maybe two to three patients a month. And, uh, you know, we can't keep our doors open that way. So when we incorporated the mental health aspect, because it's all mental health, right? When we incorporated that, um, it was kind of a back door to getting these kids help because it usually manifests in depression and anxiety and then they turn to drugs and alcohol um, to cope. Uh, so that's been really effective in um, getting families in and treating the whole family because it's a family disease. So in a lot of these families, just like our families, is the family's sick. It's not just the kid. So it's been really rewarding to be on the board and, and be a part of the growth and, and the things that they're trying to achieve in, in our community to help our youth um, with, you know, because if we can catch it young, or at least give them tools, or show them where to go, you know, I wish someone had did that for me when I was, you know, fifteen, sixteen. But, um, but it's it's a great organization. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. amazing. And I know you help a lot of people in the community down here in South Florida, and that's huge. I try. You do. You do a good job. You you do more than try. I know that. I've seen you. I've seen your work. And um, it's pretty amazing to see what, you know, what, how our lives can change and how when we are open and when we are honest and when we talk about what's going on in our houses, mm-hmm. how it sets us free. Yeah. Because I think also we were talking about this actually last week was the social media mm. and what a deterrent and how that has just changed society as a whole. Not only, it's like the marijuana and the social
1: media is just, it's crazy. It's ruining our youth. It's causing more depression, more anxiety. It's like putting gasoline on a fire. I think that's why we're having so many suicides and so many kids that are just struggling. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the more we talk about mental health and, and the struggles of depression, I mean, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but we got it. <laughs> we got we to talk about it so that others feel free to talk about it. Because it's through the communication that we heal.
0: Exactly, right? It's it's this telling people, guess what? I went through, I was married for 11 years before I got sober, Mm -hmm. and I'm still sober, my husband still drinks, and we're still married. Yeah. 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 It's possible. It's possible. It's not always easy, but whoever Mm -hmm. said anything that's easy, is it really worth it anyway?
1: That's right. That's right. And, And whatever we're going through, there's someone in AA that's gone through it already. You know? If it's got a name, it's done been done before, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So, Well, if anybody wants to write to us, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for asking me. I, I really appreciate it. And if anybody <laughs> has any questions for Marlene, you can always reach me at busy b i z z y at busylivingsober.com. And I'll pass it along to Marlene, and she'll write you back. I will. And um, please know that you're not alone mm. and reach out for help. And until next week, keep getting busy living food.